I good? Can I go? Thanks for the clock, guys, so that I have some sense of where I am. Okay. All right, welcome. We are in our series, Empowered. I want to tell you, we did Easter last week, and that was a nice break, and I thought, from Empowered, and I thought, well, we'll just go to the next section in Empowered, and all i got to do is look at what the next section is, and I just start to move forward, and I did that on Monday and Tuesday, and it's a really cool sermon, but we're going to do it some other day, because on Wednesday, I went out and was talking to the Lord, as I do, and asking him about the sermon and what he wanted to say, and all of a sudden, he just really spoke to me in a very strong way and told me, I do not want you to move on yet. There's more of what I've been doing for the last two weeks that I want to do in order to really bring this thing home in a very practical, real way into lives at a very fundamental level. And so what he said was, is I want you to do this. And if I were to tell you roughly what it's about, it's this idea that we've been working on the last couple of months. Uh, we always say in, in, in the Lord, right, as good Christians, we always say we need to be utterly dependent upon the Lord, right? We always say that, right? You need to actually let the Lord lead you and everything else. But what does that actually mean, right? How does that actually play out? And the Lord's been talking to us in some practical ways. He'll go really practical on it today in a very deep way. But the bottom line is that just to understand roughly what we're talking about, do you remember the sermon that I did a few weeks ago where we were talking about the woman who came to Jesus and poured out the perfume and then kissed his feet? And I had poor Hayden come up here and then I kissed his feet. And that was embarrassing for the both of us. But the thing that I was trying to point out was is that as men, particularly, what we think of is we think of well done, good, and faithful servant as being us standing over here. It's like our father is here, but he wants us to grow up and be men. And what that means to us is that we stand over here and we stand on our own two feet. And we're not independent from him, but we are, you know, we're, we can, we're mature, right? We're meat-eating, mature men, okay? And so we can stand here and we can do the thing that it is that we can do. Right? Because he's brought us up. He's raised us up. And that's how we think about this process. But with the kissing of the feet, what God was actually trying to point out was is, is that that is not what he's trying to make us into. The well done, good and faithful servant, servant emphasis. We always look for the, we emphasize the well done, good and faithful. The servant part sort of escapes our memory, escapes our notice, right? It's servant. What he's trying to do is he's trying to throw us another direction. He's trying to throw us into how to lean on him in the most intimate ways, in the, it, with everything in our life. And if you really look at the sermons over the last couple of months, and not just the sermons, if you look at what's been happening in women to some extent, as I've heard from the women about what's happening in their Bible studies, and certainly if you've been coming to any of the men's stuff, You've been seeing this just repeated theme as throughout the church, God is reinforcing and reinforcing this idea of what it really means to be utterly dependent upon him. That that's not a threat to your manhood, that that's actually a benefit, that that is actually how you become everything that he wants you to be. And so that's what we've been doing. And, and I, I, you know, I, like I say, he spoke to me that I was supposed to talk about this. And then just to confirm it, an interesting thing, this is Wednesday morning, that God switched the sermon on me. And Wednesday afternoon, I'm on the phone with Serenity Dillaway, who's going to teach next week. And the reason why is because she sent a little email to me. And I said, wow, that is really fantastic stuff. Didn't even have a place for her, but God worked it out to where all of a sudden I did have a day. And I thought, that could be an interesting sermon to do. But I didn't know that it had anything to do with my sermon at all. And literally, I'm sitting on the phone. And I'm listening to what her sermon is next week. And I'm going... This is the most unbelievable follow-on from what I'm teaching this week. It's amazing. In fact, truthfully, I said to her at the end, I said, there's stuff that she's, you're talking about here that would really help me in my sermon, so I'm going to steal it. <laughs> but, then I, but then God reminded me that it's not nice to steal from girls, so I won't do that. But Yeah, boys too, yeah. Oh, you're not supposed to steal from anybody? I didn't get that part. I thought it was just girls. But you get the, you get the point. You know, I mean, it was just this amazing thing where I just, uh, you know, again, God just totally confirming that if we'll let him lead, he'll take us to incredible places. So, this is a bit of a long introduction, sorry, but I just want to do this. I want you to really get where we're going. Now, I want to tell you, I don't really want to talk about this very much, and we're not going to go into great detail about it. I've gone into more detail than I'm ever going to go into today, 
publicly, and I don't really enjoy it too much because we're talking in part about sexual temptation in men. Okay, that's just one of, that's going to be a, an, an, the analogy or the metaphor for what we're learning. There'll be, there's a woman's side of it too that we'll get to in a moment. But I don't really like standing up here talking about that stuff. That's not fun for me. You know what I mean? But I do think it's kind of important. In fact, I don't think it's just important. I think we're in an epidemic now. And the reason why, in part, beyond just the fact that guys have testosterone and they're attracted to things sexually, there is this other thing that's happened, and that is when I was a kid, if you had a sexual desire, you had to go outside, you had to go pursue some fulfillment to that desire somewhere else to get something. But that is totally not how it is anymore. You can't turn on the TV and not see on regular public television. You can't not see things that are titillating to men, pun intended, right? That, are, that you are, you can't watch a movie, but what this isn't happening in almost, right? There's a few, but not very many. You can't, you know, the internet, oh my God. The internet is becoming, is this incredibly just pernicious, insidious. It's just seeped into everything. You can put filters on, you can do anything you want. That, they are marketing to you so heavily. And the point is, is as a guy who is turned on visually, it is incredibly difficult to go through a week without having at least, well, I don't want to say how many, but a number of assaults on this visual, attractional thing that happens in men, particularly in men. And so, and I'm just telling, it's an epidemic now. I mean, it's just unbelievable. If you're in the world, of course, the way that you're handling all of this is you're saying, oh, well, it's good to be sexually free, and you can do whatever you want to do, and what's the big deal, and you, you Christians are so repressed and everything else and all that kind of stuff. But if you're a Christian, you know that there's something about God's holiness. You know there's something about what God is calling you to. You know that there's something else going on that is critical. And so we are trying to respond to it. And women, I, I'm not going to have the men speak right now, but I want you to understand. I wish they, they would. And I'm not going to ask them to, but I'm telling you, if, if, if you know, because women, you, you know, this is a problem, and you don't understand the degree of problem that it really is. You can't, because this is huge. And the problem is, is that if you were to ask any guy who knows the Lord and who's trying to follow him and so on, and you were to ask him, what would you give in order to get rid of that temptation forevermore? What would you give? And every guy in this place would say anything. There's nothing I would withhold to get rid of that. I would give any and everything I possibly could if I could get free from that. Now, women, I told you this is not just a sermon for men. I want you to understand. And I'm going to use Beth Moore because when, when I speak about women, sometimes people think, what's a guy doing talking about women? And I don't know what to say except to say the Bible talks about both. And I preach every once in a while, and so it seems like I should be able to talk about it without, without getting the lamb to the slaughter, okay? But Beth Moore, let me take an expert that, you, that a lot of women in this church know and love and so on. Beth Moore said... She said, I used to think it was just me. But now that I've preached to hundreds of thousands of women all over the country and seen women, in fact, all over the world, she said, I'm finding out that there is something in common that women have, just as guys have sexual temptation in common, ubiquitously. So too women have this thing that is down deep, and we get that there's spectrums, and so some are, some are more debilitated by it and some are not. But women have this thing that Beth Moore says and that the Bible actually, I think from Genesis we could argue it and I have before, but it's a kind of insecurity. It's a kind of fear. It's a, it's a thing of where what you do, whereas the man, think about the analogy here, whereas the man is having sexual temptation to go out and do something, the woman, because of this insecurity, when it gets to a certain place, she will feel like, I can't really trust God in this area, and so I've got to do something in order to protect myself. I've got to do something in order to take care of it. Think about the garden. Eve, I've got to do something in order to take care of this. See that? And that thing is still happening in women, where there's something in them. And again, I think it has to do with the desire and coming underneath. And when he said your desire will be for him, there's something in that that I think just, just imprinted it in you in a way that is part of who you are just as much as the sexual thing is part of the guy. And the sin of it comes out 
when you don't trust God, you know that you should trust God. You know that you shouldn't say that thing to your husband. You know that you shouldn't do this thing. You know that you shouldn't, you know that you should trust him, but you just feel like, but, but I need to protect myself, and so I'm just going to do this. And then when you do that, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't, that isn't, that's, I wasn't trusting God. You see it? Okay, now you can email me and tell me where I'm off base, but, but you understand, I'm trying to get to something that this is common to all because we're just about to go do something right now. Men, sexual temptation, women, insecurity, and fear. Listen, what if, oh, by the way, women, how many of you, if I asked you privately, how would you, what would you give in order to be free from that? What would you say? Would you give everything? To not have that thing happening down there anymore? Wouldn't you give anything to get rid of that? Same thing, see? So here's what we want, men and women, to get rid of it. Be very careful you do not misunderstand me right now, because this is... This could turn into bad theology so fast it'll make your head swim. But what if God's intent is not to ever get rid of it? What if God has left something in the world that is the key to unlocking you becoming exactly and precisely the fullness of what he intended you to be? Now when I say that, a man says to himself, well, what that means is I need to learn how to stand on my own two feet. I need to learn how to defeat that. I need to learn how to get that behind me. And whenever that temptation comes up, I need to know how to kill it. And I need to stand here having achieved victory. That's the way guys think about it, right? But here's the point. Guys don't get there. They don't. Just like women don't. We don't get there. So if God is not delivering us, what the heck is he doing? That's what we're going to look at today. And what I'm telling you is, and this is my own personal testimony, so I'm not just making this up. This isn't just theology. This is theology in practice in my life. And what I'm telling you is, as, I, as I've learned to think about this entire thing in an entirely different fashion, God has turned it into one of the most important things that's happened. I have found the depths of his, of who he is in ways that I would have never found Otherwise, never. By having this fundamental thing, what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. And it has been this incredible, careful now, but truthfully, blessing in my life. Blessing. When you think about temptation, the thing that besets you, sexual temptation, and this insecurity, do you think of that as a blessing? We just said we wanted to get rid of it. And I would still love to be rid of it. But I got to tell you, until the day that God decides to go ahead and get rid of it, I'm telling you right now, I have learned how to live in the blessing of it. God working all things together for those who love him are called according to his purpose. So if this sounds important to you, that's where we're headed today. So with that, oh, this is awesome. What a great guy to have do this prayer. Because this is one of the most outstanding young men in our church. Will Lees. Uh, this is just awesome. What a great guy to have do this. Okay, so pray for the sermon. Pray for another church. Thank you, Will. Yeah, Lord, we thank you that you are the one that can make all things work together for good. And, Lord, if you can make us from the ground and breathe life into us, Lord, surely you can speak to us in this area. And so, Lord, we just take a moment to humble our hearts, um, to not let our pride get in the way of hearing you or our shame of failing get in the way of hearing from you. Amen. Pray that your voice would be ringing in our ears as we leave today, um, that we would be walking more closely with you and trusting you more that you do have good insight for us. And Lord, we also pray for uh, Eastside Foursquare. We pray that you bless their service this morning as well, that you would unite them as a church family as well and uh, draw them closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Will. Thank you. little freebie before we dig right into where we're going. Little freebie. Think about something here. Men, sexual temptation. Women, insecurity. God has taken the woman who was created to be side by side, totally equal, and he has taken her, and he has said, your desire is going to be, and you're going to be under. You're going to have a desire for a covering. When a man is being sexually tempted, what does it feel like as a woman? That he's pulling away his covering, that he's looking somewhere else, and it leaves you exposed. 
and it opens you up to more fear and insecurity. You see it? These things are connected, deeply connected in the Lord. So we're going to show you how to go about this and get this thing back to an entirely different place by looking at the right solution, which is not each other. Okay? So with that said, what we want to go to first is, I just need you to hear, it's only going to take me a few minutes, but I need to set the foundation for how biblical this is that we all have this trial. Whether it be the one side on the women and another, and again, I understand spectrums and all that, but I, but I just don't want to take three hours for a sermon that takes five. Okay? I'd like to keep this in, in a length. So here, here's what I want to say. Yeah, I'm not going to be here three hours. Okay. <laughs> But I want you to see something. Here's what Paul does. Paul comes along, and, and now understand something. Paul is the man. Who did it better than Paul did, the whole Christian walk thing? Who did it better than Paul? Well, Jesus, yeah, but... Yeah, okay. Other than Jesus. <laughs> That's really funny. That's awesome, though. It's true. But other than Jesus, who did it better? Maybe, maybe John, but, but you know, that's, it's really up to those two. And the bottom line is, is what you've got when you're looking at, when you're looking at um, Paul, you've got this guy that did all these wonderful things. Can anybody say that Paul somehow disappointed God or Paul somehow came up short or Paul somehow didn't fulfill the things that God wanted him to fulfill? Can you say that? You don't think that way about Paul, do you? Think of him as having fulfilled in them some, right? So here's Paul. Now here's what Paul says to us. God letting him have an experience that is common to all so that he could say something, so that God could say something through Paul to us to tell us that he knows where we live. Remember, Jesus was tempted in all things as were we. So here's what Paul says. Why do I do the things that I don't want to do and don't do the things that I do? Why does this stupid thing keep happening in me? I love God. Why do I keep doing this other crap? And again, you could think about that in everything that goes on in your life, every kind of sin, right? But right now, I'm asking you to sort of locate it in this, this foundational thing of sexual temptation for men and of, of insecurity and a kind of fear in women. Okay? Why do I not do the things that I want to do and I do do the things that I don't want to do? Why does this happen? Understand, God is the one who's trying to communicate with us. He knows the struggle that's going on in your life. And he gets to this climactic point, no pun intended there, sorry. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. This is so important, and here's what I want to say. We're not going to go into great detail about why exactly that can say that, because it has to do with becoming a new creature, becoming a new being. That's why when he says you cannot sin, it has to do with the fact that you're a new being. And so then sin takes on an entirely different thing in your life. And we need to understand that that's happening. But right now what I want us to do is I'm going to read to you from the message. And the message actually, as paraphrases often do, paraphrase means a more loose translation, trying to capture the spirit of something. He actually misses completely the new creation part of this. But he does so in order to get to something that we don't typically see in this argument that he makes about why do I do the things I don't want to do. He so perfectly captures us. So let me put it this way. I believe that these people who wrote the Bible, it was God inspiring them to write down what he wanted them to say for us to be able to live by. So with that in mind, I'm asking you to close your eyes right now, and I'm asking you to listen to what God wrote through Paul and tell me if this doesn't minister to you deeply. I am full of myself. After all, I spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand by myself is that I decide, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary, the law. But, this is huge, listen to it, but I need something more. For I know the law, but I still can't keep it. If the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. 
I need something else than what I've got. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I go and do it. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in the actions I want. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. In fact, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't this the real question? Isn't this the real thing that we're trying to find? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the faithful dilemma is, is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. You can open your eyes. Wow, huh? You, I've read that passage to you, what, a hundred times at this church probably, but, you know, just think, well, not that many, but anyway, a lot, right? But the bottom line is, is wow, huh? Does God know where you live or what? He knows right what's going on inside of us in the deepest, most intimate, loving, gracious way. He's trying to communicate that he gets this. And I want to say something, even though, like I say, I think Eugene totally misses the new life part of that, the new being part of that. He does use an interesting phrase here that I really want us to grab a hold of. You need to enter into Christ's being here for us. Do you see how he hyphenated that? You need to enter into Christ being here for us. What have we been saying over and over the last few months? Jesus is not just your savior for that you sinned and then he died on the cross and forgave you for that sin. He's not just your savior after the fact or in the future you sin and then he, he saves you again. He, Jesus is your savior at every moment before you get to the sin. Jesus is saving you. He's wanting to lead you. He's wanting to, if you will utterly lean on him, if you will utterly depend on him, he will be always leading you, always showing you how to take care of this, always showing you what to do. In the, in the very beginning of a temptation, at the very end of a temptation, forget about temptation. Once you learn how to win, not win in the sense of victory over sin, but, but once you learn how to really depend upon Christ in the times when temptation is driving you to lean on him, you start learning how to lean on him all the time, don't you? You start going, ah, wow, you know what? I'm finding out something. I, I learned something in there. You did something. You changed the facts. In fact, if I had to express what we're really going after it would be expressed in part this way. There has been this tension that we've been talking about for months now about what we would call behavior modification and versus what God, God doing what he does. See, we always say, don't do it, let God do it. Great, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Let God do it. What am I supposed to do, just sit in my chair and twiddle my thumbs and wait for something to happen? What does that mean? Well, we're going to find out a lot more of what that means today. Because we're going to start seeing the way that God created a relief between two different things. And we can start saying, okay, I get when I'm doing this in my own strength. And now I get when it's happening because God's actually doing it. See that? So I just want to say something about behavior modification, though, before we go on. Do you understand, behavior modification is really important. Here's Paul talking about it. So I run with purpose in every step. I discipline my body like an athlete. I train it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. It's not the only place he talks about that. But here's what he's talking about. Being a disciplined person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Actually working some steps, right? To the degree that AA is really a very Christian thing. But to, to a very real extent, AA, as people have tried to take God out of it, it, it what's left in it? 
kind of a behavior modification, right? Be with your friends. When you get temptation, call on somebody. Do things. Learn how to do things that, that, that modify your behavior. And, and that's important. If you don't learn how to do this, you're going to get the crud beat out of you in life, okay? And, and here's the analogy that I'm talking about. Is the law good? Of course it is. It's God's expression of what's good. This is what's good and right. Here's what the problem was. People thought that they could actually do it. <laughs> How stupid of us. Right? And it doesn't mean you don't try. It just means you've got to understand that in the end, what did the law become? Not an end, but a tutor to teach us that we needed something more. That's what Paul was just talking about, right? I need something more. I need help. God, come and help me. See it? So we get, we get Paul saying this about behavior modification, but this about the stuff that God does. Oh, foolish Galatians, how foolish can you be after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your, your own or human effort? Let me say it the way the message says it because it's just cool again. You crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened. It's obvious that you, now listen to this word. This, this phrasing is so important. It's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Christ in clear focus in your lives. What that means is when you're trying to do it in your own strength, it's not about the crucified Christ anymore. You're back before him trying to work it out in your own self. See it? His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Was it by responding to what was God was doing in you? Are you going to continue this craziness for only crazy people that they think, only crazy people would think that they could complete their, by their own efforts. Sorry, I'm starting over. For only crazy people would think that they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. Listen to this. Awesome translation here. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you're going to perfect it? Do you see the difference here? Okay? There's something transcendent in Christ that we need to find, and that's what we're going to go after right now by looking at something called the sin cycle. If you've been at the last couple of men's meetings, we've talked about this a little bit. My apologies to you, but hang in there. We're going to get to some good places on it that are going to be valuable even if you've heard it. But bottom line, and I've talked about this before, but I just want to take us where we're going. Watch this. Sin cycle starts right here. Point number one. What's point number one? I've just stepped up on a podium. Why? Because point number one is what we're going to call revival. Here's what revival is. Awesome. <laughs> Incredible. Wow. God doing everything. Many of you sitting in this room right now were part of the Dennis Bennett thing. How, actually, I say many, but we're getting old enough now to where it's not many anymore, is it? How many people in here were, ever saw Dennis Bennett, Dennis Bennett preach? Raise your hands. Do you see this? I'm telling you, you do realize something about Seattle, right? You do realize that in 1900, this idea of the Holy Spirit was still actually moving today the same way that he did in Scripture became very real, and we started all these Pentecostal denominations, we call them. But you do realize that Amy Simple McPherson, Foursquare, was actually the transitional figure from Pentecostal to mainline churches. She started preaching in mainline churches. And one of the people, not, I don't know if it was by Amy or not, I don't think it was, but Dennis Bennett was a mainline preacher. Was it Lutheran? Episcopal. Episcopal, Episcopal sorry. Okay, I, knew, I knew it wasn't Lutheran, and I keep thinking Lutheran. I was going, I'm not right on that. But, but the point is Episcopal. And he got booted from Van Nuys because of this, and he came up here. They sent him up here. And what did God do? I'm telling you, you guys don't understand that the history of, of the Holy Spirit through Seattle, you do realize that the entire world, the entire, the entire Christendom was changed by what started really here. It didn't start here, but by what happened here. You realize that there was ministries that went on for years and years and years and changed what Christianity looked like because of what happened here. This is an incredible thing. That the history that we've got here is amazing. Okay? Now, here's my question for you. 
When you're in revival and it's Wowsville and God is so close and speaking so loudly and it's so easy, is it, is it easy to stay away from sin? Like the easiest thing ever. You're so consumed with God that sin is like, yuck, why would I do that? Right? So when you're in revival, it ain't no hard, it ain't no big deal to get rid of sin. Right? To not have sin in your life. It's easy. But for reasons that we're going to find out here in just a moment, God never lets us stay in revival. Never. Can't show me anybody, any place where it did. It always ends. And then we end up, you can't see this little circle, but there's a little circle here. And this little circle here, I'm going to call point number two. And here's what point number two is. He was so close. He was so loud. It was so fun. It was so exciting. It was so new. But, but now he doesn't feel as close. He doesn't feel, in fact, like I'm not even sure really where he is because I knew him that way and I don't know what this way is. And, and we start thinking of it as the wilderness. We start thinking of it as I'm kind of alone. You know what I mean? I mean, God was so, he's certainly not like that. And God, I know that he's not, not here at all. But I mean, it just feels like I'm more kind of on my own. And, and my excitement for God and everything else is kind of, the wilderness, right, is a tough place, right? So it kind of wanes over time. And if, if you stay in the wilderness very long, what happens? You know, your Bible reading goes down a little bit because you're just not as, it's just not as alive to you. And your, your prayer time is just not as vibrant. And so you kind of drop that a little bit. And, and, you know, spending time with Christians, I mean, come on, who doesn't want their Sunday morning to read the paper and look at stuff? You know what I mean? I mean, just look at pretty stuff. I mean, well, that doesn't work either, but anyway, whatever. <laughs> the wilderness, okay? The point is, is what we do, and we think we're kind of alone, don't we? At least more alone relatively you know, we're kind of on our own, and then we start doing what? You know, as we start dropping the Christian habits, you know, we watch a movie or two, or we get, you know, caught up by something, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves down here kind of playing with fire. Right? I mean, that's, that's a long ways from up there. And we're down here, and we're sort of playing with fire, and then, you know, maybe you resist, and maybe you do good a few times, but at some point in time, you give in to sin whether it's a guy in sexual temptation or whether it's a woman in trying to take control in order to protect herself because she's feeling a little insecure and fearful. Either way, the point is, is that you take some action, you make some decision, you do something, and you fall to sin. Now, what happens if you're a Christian and you sin? What happens? Oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. And you start coming back to God, and you come up here, and you're just feeling so ashamed. Now, by the way, this is where you've got to come next week because serenity is going to... Serenity's going to blow that thing up in such a way that it's just awesome. God is going to do it, but all right, Serenity's going to be the mouthpiece, okay? But the bottom line is, you feel shame. I mean, you know, when you feel shame, you're already sort of oriented to God. And what do you do? When you're feeling shameful, what do you do? When you're feeling ashamed of what you did, what do you do? You start working like crazy, right? The first thing you feel is ashamed. Oh, don't take your presence or, you know, don't banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Isn't that after you've done something and you're feeling ashamed, isn't that what you feel like? God, don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I'll be there. I'll read my Bible more. I'll, I'll study more. I'll pray more. I'll spend time at church again. I'll do, all, I'll do all these things and everything else. And when you're trying to work your way back to God, what's the result? Actually, no. You, actually, you keep pressing in. You end up kind of in a mini revival. I mean, not everybody else experiencing it, but you went through the shame, this whole sin cycle. You end up back in a place where God is loud again. God is talking to you. He loves you. Oh, I feel so good. And it's kind of an alive time, right? Right? Now, here's what I want to show you. You go through that sin cycle once, and it's one thing. You go through it twice, and it's another thing. You go through it about four or 500,000 times, it starts to become something else. As Paul says, it happens so regularly, it's predictable. Let me show you something here. This is huge. It's not as big as we're going to get to, but this is worth it. This is worth the price of admission right here. Okay? When you're over here in point two, and you're feeling like it's the wilderness, I want you to look at that. I want you to look at this spiral, and I want you to understand something. I want you to see it. 
If you've been over the cycle over and over and over again, if you've been around the spin cycle over and over and over again, watch this. When you're feeling a little bit alone, Satan can actually start telling you, you know what? Even though it's really bad that you sin, the result of sin is that you end up back with God again. Do you see it? In this just pernicious, insidious, disgusting, wow way, I want to tell you, thinking of yourself as being in the wilderness when you're here, actually, and you've been through the cycle, the cycle becomes an incentive to sin because it leads back to God. Now, how stupid is that? But I'm telling you, it's there. And somebody who's been around and around and around the block knows, well, the sin isn't that big of a deal. Yes, it is. But it leads me back to God. And so you're just stuck in this cycle. This is where we need the help. This is what Paul was talking about. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Why can't I get out of this spin cycle? Do you see it? So here's what we want to do. We have to look more carefully at what's really going on in the wilderness. Because there's a lie right here that we're buying. Because it isn't all the excitement, new, glory toys of revival. Wilderness feels like God's not here with us. But what's the truth? I will not abandon you. I will come to you. The world will no longer see me, but you'll see me. You are in me, and I am in you. We will come and make our home in you. So when you're in the wilderness, is God not with you? No. He's completely with you. But it's different than how he's with you here, isn't it? That's the key. What's the difference? Watch this. First thing. Let's redefine wilderness to something different than God not with you because we already proved he wasn't with you. So we need to come up with a new label. What's a good label? How about we call it every day? Life, right? Life, right? Every day. Now watch. Thomas isn't there when Jesus, having been killed, raises again and is with the disciples. He says, I'm not going to believe it unless I put my hand in his side and I put my finger in the hole in his hand. And so then Jesus shows up eight days later, by the way. Thomas got to sweat that one out. <laughs> eight days later, Thomas, Thomas, God, Jesus shows up. And what's Jesus' first thing to him? Hey, Thomas, come over here and put your hand in my side and your finger in this hole. He does it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Literally, God. Right? Lord and God. Now watch. Here's Jesus' odd reply. So you believe because you've seen with your own eyes? Better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Better blessings. I want to take you to what this better blessing is, and one of the ways I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it two different ways, but the first way is by one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. I've said it too many times, but I just love it so much, I'm going to do it again. Elijah. Here's what's happening. The queen, Jezebel, has got these prophets of Baal, and these prophets are running everything, and it's a false god, and, and Elijah says, enough of this, and you build, a, you build an altar with a sacrifice on it, I'll build an altar with a sacrifice with it. We'll see whose god shows up to consume, Right? And then what happens is, is those 450, they get the morning shift, so they're running around and screaming and crying and cutting themselves. And he says, hey, you know what? Maybe you need to scream and, you scream and yell and cut yourself a little bit more because maybe your God's going to the bathroom and that's why he hasn't showed up yet because he can't hear you. Right? And then Elijah says, okay, just so that you know it's not just sitting out here in the hot sun, go down to the river, fill up jugs of water, and bring them up here and douse this altar so much that it's soaking wet water and then God comes down and consumes all of it even the dust in the ground it says right 
Now, here's the real God. Here's the fake God. Kill the 450 prophets of Baal. They do it. Jezebel, I'm coming after you, Elijah. Now, here's what Elijah did. Now, think about it. See? Elijah ran away. When we think that God is disappointed in us because we sinned, we think that he's kind of like, well, you know, I'll let you back in, but, you know, you've lost something. You're never going to have everything that you ever wanted to be. You're not going to be as good, but I'll give you a second place or third place or fourth, or, you know, I'm down to, what, 495,000th place. Okay? You see, the, you see it, right? You know, I'm, I'm just, you know, he's going to let me into heaven, but, you know, I get to be in that sort of outer court or kind of or something, I don't know. Right? So, you see, if that's how God felt about it, then he would come to Elijah and say, Elijah, you schmuck, what are you doing here? (laughs) Right? I'm so disappointed in you. But what does he do instead? God comes to Elijah as he's running away and says, Elijah, loves on him, feeds him miraculously, even with a bird. Feeds him miraculously. And then he goes to a cave and he gets to rest for a little while. And then, and here's the key. Remember what Elijah was running away from. He was running away from Jezebel, but what had he just done? He'd just seen fire come down and consume everything, right? That's why he should have trusted God for Jezebel too, right? But the bottom line was, is watch this, because this is just so incredible. At that moment, the Lord, the Lord says, come out to the front of the cave. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. Key words. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Wait a minute. Yes, he was. He was in the fire when he came down and consumed the altar, wasn't he? Wasn't he in that fire? Don't ever confuse the things that God does with who he is. Certainly what he does tells you his character. But always understand that what he does and who he is, he can do anything that he wants to do, but we have to but who he is is something that is its own thing absent whether he ever does anything. If he never does anything, does it change who he is? He's still who he is. Watch. Here's the moment. After the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. A soft whisper. And what does he say? Elijah, what are you doing here? Don't you know me? Hey, I got 7,000 other people. You're not alone. I got 7,000 other people that haven't bent their knee or kissed Bell. But I've got you, too. I'm holding on to you. I'm holding on to you. And how does he come to know it? Because God did some big, spectacular miracle for him? How does Elijah become the kind of guy that goes back to the queen? He comes to know who God is. Not in the big and spectacular, but in the more intimate place. Now watch this. Many of you are married in here. If you're not, you'll still get the analogy. When you first get married, what kind of love is it? Revival. This is spectacular. This is new. This is awesome. This is glorious. This is spectacular. Wow. Right? I mean, this is new love. And everybody's marriage always stays right here, right? Right? Who's been married for over five days? Right? See, we want this. And this is wonderful. But it is nothing compared to what happens when you fall out of love with the person that you married and you have to fight to find a new love. You have to fight to find out who that person really is. You have, to fight, you, you, you have to fall out of love with who you thought you married so you can fall in love with who you actually married. When you fight to discover who that person really is and you start seeing all kinds of things about them that you never saw before, not big, splashy, spectacular things, but the subtlety, the still, soft whisper. 
When you start finding out who that other person is, what kind of love do you fall into at that point in time? Yeah, cool. It's like so much better. In fact, doesn't it kind of make that look superficial? All of a sudden, right, when you find real love, when you find the deeper, when you find a love that is one, you look back at that stuff and you kind of go, that was really fun and I'm glad that I had it, but I would never trade for what I got because this stuff is the real stuff. Isn't that right? Well, marriage is a type for our relationship with God, right? That's what the Bible says. So he's doing the same thing with us. He gets that you like him a lot in revival. But he's trying to bring you into the still, small, quiet voice. The knowing. The oneness. Right? The everyday. In fact, we can rename our little thing now, can't we? It's a soft whisper of intimacy. In fact, we can do something else. Now that we've already done the whole sin cycle, we can start to understand that God is trying to take us on an entirely, he's trying to take us over here. He's getting us out of that thing. That's all law. That's all dead. He's trying to take us into a new relationship, one of utter dependency. This has got nothing to do with you being a man and standing on your own two feet and I become a well-done, good and faithful. This has everything to do with being somebody who is on your knees going, you are spectacular, you are amazing. I cannot, I cannot, the depths of you is unbelievable. This is incredible, I'm consumed with you. In fact, again, be careful about this, but I want you to understand something. When you think about, here's the best definition of perversion that you're ever gonna get. It, you can think about it sexually, but it's in every area. Here's what perversion is. It takes more to get to the same place. Drugs are that way, sex can be that way, all kinds of things can be that way. I want to tell you that one of the reasons why God doesn't do revival all the time because this is not who he actually is. He certainly can do this and he does this. And thank God that he would do it again and again. Right? So don't think I'm just, I'm not slamming, I'm not slamming revival. What I am saying is understand it only goes so far and there's something much more important that he's trying to bring you into. This intimacy, still, small, quiet voice, the soft whisper where you know him. That just gets better and better and better. You don't need more to be in the same place. That's just as the richness of infinite, the finite to the infinite, and you just can't, you just, you just, it's just more. It's just more love. It just keeps growing. See it? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Watch what we're going to do right here. I'm going to show you how to, if you're stuck in this sin cycle, I'm going to show you how to blow it up. First of all, there's no condemnation. So here's what you need to say. When, when, you, when the temptation is coming, to it, well, you know, well, if I do this, I actually end up going back around and I actually end up back close to God. Here's what you need to say. You need to take that same thing and you need to drive that thing right in the ground. What I mean by that is you need to say there is no condemnation. I have not done the sin yet. I may even be approaching it. I may even be coming close to it. But you need to say to yourself, it doesn't matter if I do this thing or if I don't do this thing. It doesn't change God with me because there is no condemnation. And I am not going to come under condemnation. And when you do that, what happens is, look at that left-hand side. It just obliterates it. I'm telling you, it literally will take the power away. If you will refuse to ever again feel shame, if you will, if you will know that it is a lie from the pit of hell to suck you into a whirlpool that's trying to suck you down, if you will start doing that, then you will, you, right there you will have gotten some of the victory. But it only gets to a certain place because the much better place, look, even if you do sin, where do you go? Do you go back to shame? No, you go right back to here. You learn from it. You learn from it. You don't fall into shame and then, and then work your way back into God. That's finishing in the flesh what was begun in the spirit. When, if, you, if you do fall, learn from it. What happened, God? Talk to him. He's not gone anywhere. He's not disappointed in you. He knew what was going on. He's here to help. He's here to save at every moment. He's here to teach. The Holy Spirit is the one who's leading us into all truth at every moment. Do you see it? 
So when you fall, what you do is you come right back to here. I know that what you're going after is intimacy with me, and I'm still not quite understanding that intimacy. And so teach me. What did I do? What happened here? Show me. See, when you're doing the whole guilt and shame thing and everything else, what are you learning over there? Nothing. Right? You're not growing in him now. What if he's causing all things to work together for good, including your failures, to set you free? And I don't mean free in the way that we think of it, never having the temptation again. What I said at the beginning was, and what I mean right now is, is I want you to get a hold of something. When you really start understanding what I'm saying, when that temptation comes on, it's not that you're saying thank you, God, for the temptation because God doesn't tempt us. That's what the scripture says. But when that temptation is coming on you, you can say, thank God I've got yet another opportunity to learn what it is to turn to him. Do you see it? By the way, let me say something right now, huge. If you don't know how to pray in the spirit, would you please get with a friend here who can lead you into that? Because I'm telling you, praying in the spirit is awesome, and here's why. Here's what Paul says after that Romans thing, where he talks about why do I don't do it. And here's, he says, here's the truth. When you put your mind on the things of the spirit, it leads to life. When you put your mind on the things of flesh, it leads to death. And here's what he's saying. When you are in the middle of a struggle, if you will start praying in the spirit, the Holy Spirit says, I know what's going on in you. I'm not disappointed in you. I'm not far from you. I know exactly what you're going through. I have been tempted just as you have been. I know exactly what's happening. And here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to teach you how to lean on me, how to find me, even in the middle of the temptation, whether it's at the very beginning when it's kind of light or whether you're going 150 miles an hour. He is still to be found and when you go and pray in the Spirit, what he says you're doing is you're praying is according to the heart of God, the mind of God who knows exactly what you need at that moment. And it gets you lined up. And when you're praying in the Spirit, ask him, what is it that I'm praying? And you begin to pray with the Spirit and you begin to pray with understanding in your own mind. And pretty soon you start saying, oh, I, I, I'm learning. I'm growing. He's teaching. Do you see it? I just got to tell you, I do not ever want to have another temptation in my life. But I do want to grow in the Lord, and it turns out this is one of the ways that he can do that. So I'm not going to go out looking for temptation, and I'm not going to go out, and if you're doing that, you're just stupid. Right? That's what in Romans, where Paul, says, where Paul says, does this mean then we should go out and sin more to experience God's grace? Of course not. <laughs> but what he is saying is simple. Man, no matter where you are, Know that he's right there because the truth of the gospel, the truth of everything is I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 458,000 times, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you. I am in love with you. You are everything to me. I gave my own presence, my own son for you. That's how much I love you. And all I'm asking you to do is quit having that old crap in your mind about how it goes and wrecks you and shipwrecks you. Start learning from that. That doesn't work. Start learning what does work. Leaning on me. Leaning on me for everything. And I'm telling you, you learn that in the middle of a big temptation going 150 miles an hour. You learn how to do that, and all of a sudden you'll find yourself walking through your day leaning on God because you're learning how to do it for real in everything in your life. I want you to take a moment right now, and I just I, I wrestled with what to do right now because I, think, I hope this was a really good sermon. I don't want to end it right now. I don't want us to just leave this very moment without having let something happen. And I didn't want to do a discussion because I felt it would actually take us away from the power of the moment. So I'm asking you to do something. Pam, go ahead and come up and give us a little background. But I'm asking you to do something. I want you to close your eyes right now and I want you to take, we're going to do about three minutes is all. 
but I want you to do something. I want you in prayer to him. I want you to think about this image in your mind. Imprint it in your mind. Would you think about it? What God's trying to do is he's trying to get me to a place to where it's not wilderness. It is intimacy that he's going after, and he's trying to teach me, and I will not fall into condemnation ever again. And instead, I'm going to start learning what it is to lean on him in everything. And in the middle of temptation and pray in the spirit, just start taking these concepts, would you? And just start planting them in you literally have this image of you're taking a a little hoe and you're walking through the field and you're just planting these seeds of truth. These seeds of what God is actually doing and how he's actually doing it. Just do this with the Lord. just realize what we need to do and I'm sorry I'm going to mess with the service in a little bit here Uh, I want you to reach down and and, no don't we're not going to do communion right now we need to do offering because I want to do so I just realized there's a ministry moment I've been praying about this for days trying to figure it out and God just gave it to me so could you just could we just not make a big deal of the offering right now but I need you to give obviously the church needs you to and would you please, would you please, I mean, actually respond to him, and would you just prepare, but I don't want to ruin the ministry moment, so I'm not going to spend time on this right now, okay? I just want you to prepare your offering, and ushers, please come forward, and in two seconds, I'm going to release you, but what I want you to do is, is when the basket goes by you, let's take some ministry. Come up to the altar here. Spend a moment before the Lord. What would you give to be free? Anything. What would you give to get a hold of this truth? Everything. So I want us to have a ministry moment. So please prepare your offering. Please don't, please don't let me doing a ministry thing end up being a financial problem for the church. This happens all the time. I love you. I just, you know, it's just human nature. We, we all get it, right? So I can talk. So Lord, in Jesus' name, receive this offering from our hands. But let us do so in a way that does not impair the ministry moment that you want to create. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you, God. Go ahead, guys, and pass those baskets. And then, like I say, even if you want to to come up right now, you can. And if you have an offering, just stick it in the basket on your way by. But would you just come up? And and either way, just take a few minutes. We're not going to, I'm going to dismiss this here in about five or less. Okay? But, and remember, we have the business meeting right after. But, okay, I'm just, we're not going to do a song right now. I just want us to, I don't know, maybe we should do the song. What was the song you had? Probably perfect, of course. But you understand what I'm saying? I'm sorry to kind of break this moment. I hope I did it well. I don't think I did. But would you come forward, please? Would you just come forward and just ask God to imprint in you this, this image of the victory, of the different way, of the, different path that God has for us and what we take. We are all people who don't do what we want to do and do do the things that we despise. You don't have to come forward, but take this moment and let it really become rich in your heart. God, imprint this into us. Let every person, even in the middle of temptation, even in the middle of 
those moments in the middle of our struggles with control and fear and insecurity, in the middle of sexual temptation, and then in the middle of anger and in the middle of, of just fear in general and in the middle of all the other sins that we do. Start teaching us. You're the one who's been driving us to this revelation. Show us how to start living in it. Every moment of every day. God, it's incredible what you do. When you're done, I would just ask you to take communion yourself. If you don't know the Lord and you're here, what a beautiful time to take that body broken for you that makes you whole. And that cup in which is the life that God gave. And just take that to receive. And the rest of us know what communion is, so take communion when you're done. And then go ahead and leave it peaceful in here for a moment. Thank you, Lord. In just a few moments, we'll regather for the business meeting, but thank you, God. Uh, just to to encourage us in the word, um, two things that are here. Uh, one's out of First Corinthians ten. Remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will keep the temptation be- from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out, so that you'll not give in to it. Look for the way out. And the, and the other one is from uh, Philippians 2, verse, verse 12. And now that I'm away from you, you must be even more careful to put into action God's saving work in your lives, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. Amen. Amen.
Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you that you are our Savior who not just saves us from the sins that we've done, but who is leading and guiding us. It is better that you went away because we now have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us at every moment. You yourself right there in us, us in you. Thank you, God, that that is the truth of our lives and that we will walk in it evermore just remembering that you will never leave nor forsake. That you have a better way for us, a transcendent way. In Jesus' most spectacular name. Hallelujah. Amen. Take that communion if you're not done with it. Literally in five